Mark 16, 1 to 8, page 722 in the Church Bibles. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The way a story ends is important. But I find I'm I'm often disappointed with the endings of stories. Like, have you ever seen Gone with the Wind? Oh my goodness, it ends and it just makes me so angry. You know, Rhett says, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. And I think, well, I do. I want my 16 hours back. (laughs) And the fact that Scarlet then goes to Tara doesn't seem to make any sense to me. It doesn't restore or solve anything. It's just a strange, unsatisfying ending. Well, the Gospel of Mark, as we just heard, has a strange, unsatisfying ending. Maybe you could even say it's a bit arthouse. After you've spent all that time reading through the whole book, the end just kind of slaps you in the face with its abruptness. Look at the last verse again with me, verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The end. That's how the book of Mark ends. And it's, it's so abrupt, so unsatisfying, so kind of art house that someone somewhere along the way felt the need to add a nice, neat summary, like a kind of commentary or a, or a, a study Bible note at the end. Just a summary that, that uh, tells us what happened next that we know from other places in the Bible. But the great thing about, about the Bible is that we have heaps of reliable early copies and so it's dead easy to tell actually that that summary note at the end of Mark, which comes after this, is actually not a part of the original at all. So what are we supposed to make of an ending like this? As Scott said, we've been looking at Mark's Gospel for three months now and is this really how we're going to leave the Gospel of Mark? with these women finding out that Jesus is alive and then running away afraid. It's a bit depressing, isn't it? Or is it? We need to figure out why Mark ends so abruptly. What does this ending achieve? And the answer that we're going to see today is that it achieves something depressing and it achieves something so uplifting that it drives away depression and every sad and awful thing for all eternity. But first, we're going to start with looking at the depressing thing that this end achieves. This is our first thing that we're going to see. It drives home that no one is able to follow Jesus. This ending leaves us with not one human left standing worthy of being a follower of Jesus. 
Where are all the, the disciples at this point in Mark? The last we heard of them was back in chapter 14, verse 50. And this is what we read then. Then everyone deserted Jesus and fled. So much for taking up their cross. So much for keeping watch. They run for their lives. And they don't resurface in the book again at all. Except for Peter. Peter who'd said, even if all fall away, I will not. Peter who'd said, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. Well, he resurfaces hours later and he says about Jesus, I don't know this man that you're talking about. And then straight away we read in Mark 14 verse 72, immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. It's a tragic last word on discipleship in Mark. No follower of Jesus is left standing when he's crucified. But that's not quite true, is it? There are some who haven't abandoned him or denied him. Because in chapter 15, verse 40, we read that when Jesus is being crucified, some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and of Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. These women are the last of the disciples left standing. They're standing at a distance, but they're there. Some of them even follow Jesus to the tomb and see where he's laid. And in these closing words of Mark's gospel, we see that their devotion continues. Not only have they followed and served Jesus in life, Well, we just heard now they buy spices to anoint his dead body, costly spices. Then they get up at some ridiculous hour in the morning and and return to the tomb as the sun is rising. Is Mark trying to tell us something? Are we supposed to look at these women in the light of of the, the dawn and from them understand what it means to be a true follower of Jesus? Is this what true love and devotion to Jesus looks like? Well, these women are definitely amazing people, but the closing sentences of Mark's gospel won't let us see even them as worthy followers of Jesus. Because in the end, these women do what every other disciple has done. They flee. Look at verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. And more importantly, we read that they fail in their simple task, The messenger said in verse 7, Go, tell Jesus' disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. But what do they do? Verse 8, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. By the end of this gospel, even the very best of the disciples, the last ones, even these last ones standing fall. Don't miss this. Even their sincere Beautiful devotion to Jesus was inadequate. Why? Well, it's because in the end, they were busy, what they were busy doing for Jesus here, coming to honour the dead, even though they're sincere and devoted in doing this, they're actually missing what really matters in this scene. They're missing what's really going on. So we'll see in a moment, they're missing what God is doing for them. 
All of them, men and women alike, they missed the meaning of Jesus' death. It, it wasn't a horrible tragedy. He wasn't a dead martyr, to be honoured. And the messenger at the tomb tells them their fault in verse 6. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. They go looking for a dead man. But the messenger goes on. He has risen. Jesus himself had already told them many times that this was going to happen. He'd even already told them that after it happened, they needed to go to Galilee to see him. Way back in in chapter 14, verse 28. He said, after I have risen... I will go ahead of you into Galilee. The women are seeking a dead man when they should have been seeking the living son of God. And the gospel closes with them terrified and bewildered when really they shouldn't have been surprised by what they're hearing. Now Mark's telling us all this for a reason. Remember, you've got to remember a fair while back, right back to the beginning of this series, but remember that Mark is writing down Peter's memories He's writing down the events that actually happened. And the reason that Peter shares these events, even though they don't particularly paint a a positive picture of him, the reason Peter's sharing them is because it's essential that we learn the lesson he learned. We don't stand before God because we are worthy to be there. Peter learned that lesson painfully. And we're no different to the disciples, to the men and women who were there, We would have done exactly the same as them. None of us can be a part of God's kingdom based on our sincerity or on our devotion to God. None of us are worthy to be a follower of Jesus. But nonetheless, this depressing word is not the final word in Mark's gospel. This abrupt end, it drives home something else. And if we see our human failure and weakness, then this point stands out even more starkly and powerfully. Look at verse 7. The messenger from Jesus says, But go, tell Jesus' disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. The final word is it's not that we're unable to follow Jesus. The final word is actually that Jesus has not given up on us. He's overcome our weakness. This is the uplifting thing that this abrupt ending drives home because it it applies to them and it applies to us. Our unworthiness to stand before God has now been overcome by Jesus. Jesus is going to restore the disciples and even Peter, who denied Jesus, is going to be restored. Do you notice the way the message singles out Peter? But not to say, you blew it, Peter, big time. Jesus singles him out to say, you might have denied me, Peter, but I've overcome even that. Human inadequacy and weakness and selfishness and cowardice and our sinfulness, it makes us unworthy to stand before God, unworthy to be a part of his kingdom. But now it's a barrier no longer because Jesus has broken through. If you've ever felt anything like Peter must have felt at this point, if you feel your your failures strongly, if you're someone who's got a a tender conscience, feel weak and and incapable of being acceptable to God, incapable of of living God's way, or if if you're someone when you you read the Bible or you, you hear sermons about what we should do as followers of Jesus, 
If you feel inadequate, then what Mark is driving home here is fantastic news for you. Because what he drives home is that it's not our devotion or sincerity that makes us acceptable followers of Jesus. It's not our performance that counts. It's what Jesus has done that counts. And at the cross, what Jesus has done is overcome our unworthiness so that we can stand before God. But on the other hand, if you feel like you're going okay, you feel like you're all right with God, you're a good person, better than most, moral, kind of family person, the kind of person that God should be happy with, happy to have in his kingdom, then this isn't fantastic news for you. This is actually offensive news, what Mark is driving home here. Because Mark abruptly says to us all, to you, your devotion, your sincerity, none of it's good enough. You're not worthy. You've failed God and you'll keep on failing him. I met an older guy a few years back who was really into the scouts and and he said he's always lived by apparently one of the scouts' kind of mottos, always do your best. And he felt that God should be happy with that. But I met someone else a while back too who told me that when they were a kid, this was kind of the motto that their parents told them to live by, you know, always do your best. But they didn't find it very helpful at all. In fact, they said they found it a tormenting kind of motto to live by. Because they said, how do you know when you've done your best? How do you know if you've done it? Can you know? Surely you can always reach down inside and just give a little bit more. And of course, if you live life always trying to give everything just a bit more, just in case you're not doing your best, it's a, it's a pretty tortured way to live. And what happens when your best is just not good enough? Or even worse, what happens when your best is just plain wrong? When I was studying pharmacy, I, I once met a guy who told me that his grandfather had been killed by a pharmacist doing surgery on a mole. I was a little bit disturbed by this kind of story. It's always sort of stuck with me, and it, it cured me of that urge you get as a pharmacist to do surgery even though you're not qualified to do it. <laughs> Anyone else had that? Now, I'm pretty sure that that pharmacist who killed his grandfather, I'm pretty sure he was doing his best to remove that mole. But it wasn't good enough. And worse, it was just wrong in the end. Being a follower of Jesus is not about doing your best. It doesn't work with God. Because not only do we not do our best when we're honest, we also can never know if we've done our best or not. And most importantly, even our best is just not good enough. And sometimes worse than that, it's just plain wrong. If we live by the motto, always do your best will actually never be acceptable to God. Jesus calls us to follow him based on something else entirely different to that. He calls on us to follow him on the basis of his best in our place. God accepting us on the basis of Jesus' best and not our own. And this is where this abrupt ending in Mark achieves another purpose. It forces us to stop at Jesus' death and resurrection. The end, it's so abrupt, so unsatisfactory, that it it forces us to stop and really see that 
being a follower of Jesus is all about understanding his death and resurrection. A follower of Jesus has got to stare his death and resurrection in the eye and, and Mark's ending forces us to do it. And when we do that, we see at least three huge things. We see that God is judge. We see that God is saviour. And we see that God is victorious. Jesus' death and resurrection shows us God is judge because at Jesus' death we see just how seriously God takes our rebellion against him. And it shows us what God's going to do about it. What Jesus faces is, is what we deserve to face and it's what we will face if we haven't taken refuge in Jesus. We will face God's anger. And yet, the second thing that Jesus' death and resurrection shows is that God is saviour. In the suffering of Jesus, God himself opens a way for us to be saved from that judgment because God himself takes that judgment upon himself in Jesus. The cross lets us see clearly that if we come to Jesus, we will never, ever face God's judgment, his anger. Instead, we're saved from it. And Jesus' death and resurrection, thirdly, it shows us that God is victorious. Jesus, he walks away from death unscathed. Not even death can overcome him. He wins. And his death and resurrection shows that God is just not prepared for his great plans for humanity to be ruined, not by anyone, not even by us. God is determined to have the victory, and not simply over us, God is determined to be victorious for us. He's not going to let pain and sickness and death and evil and sin win the day. He's not going to accept that, no matter what the cost. Instead, he wins a people who will live under Jesus' rule for all eternity, where these things will just come untrue and cease to exist. That's where Mark's ending forces us to stop. He's saying to you, this is the place where a follower of Jesus will stand, here and nowhere else. We stand before the judge. We stand saved from his anger. We stand victorious with him because of his death and resurrection. If we read Mark's abrupt ending right, it takes us to one of two places. It either leaves us uncomfortable or it leaves us comforted. I wonder which one you feel at the moment. Because kind of like Gone with the Wind, Mark's ending, it, it can be irritating. And not just because it ends so abruptly, but because it forces us to look at Jesus' death and resurrection and our own inadequacy. And if we're standing before God with no interest in what Jesus has done for us, then this ending says to us, that's a major problem. And God's not okay with you. And that's not a comfortable thought. Now, in one sense, we want you to be comfortable here today. That's why we have morning tea and, and coffee, and it's why they don't let me participate in leading the singing from up the front. But actually, with Mark, I don't really want you to leave here comfortable if you're not at peace with God. Don't shrug off this discomfort. Sit with it for a bit. If you just don't get it, that's okay, investigate it. There's plenty of evidence for Jesus' resurrection. Stop at Jesus' death and resurrection for a while and see if there really is anything to it. 
You could tick that box on the communication card that says, I'd like to find out more about Jesus. Place it in the bag a bit later on. It's worth looking into. But if you actually do get it, do something about it. And of course, the only thing that we can do is to place our lives into the hands of Jesus. Because if you know it's true, if that's you, do it. And not just because it's true, but also because it works. Because when we hand ourselves over to Jesus, then suddenly Mark's abrupt ending, it takes you to a completely different place. It doesn't leave you uncomfortable. It leaves you comforted. Because when you realise that God is not only judge, but also saviour and also victorious for us, then we realise that it's all going to be okay. No matter what life throws at us, God knows us, loves us, accepts us, whether we're like Peter or who we are. He will not abandon us. He will resurrect us back to life to live with him in this world restored. That's what Jesus' death and resurrection shows. And to me, I find this personally a massive comfort in my life. Now I know I seem young to many of you and ancient to some. But to me, and and it might seem silly, even in my life I see life slipping by. I reckon I'm probably past halfway and the second half to me looks harder than the first. It seems to me that the future holds failing health. It holds the loss of more and more loved ones. And that's already started. And even as I look back to what's gone before, I see good times and great memories. But I also can't help but feel that the past holds moments that have gone forever. Lost. Missed opportunities. Some regrets. And it seems to me that if life is just what I make of it, If it's all up to me, then that's another motto to live by that will torture you. But if Jesus is not victorious, if there's no resurrection, then we don't have any choice but to live by that motto. But I know that life is not just what I make of it. Jesus has won the victory over death. And so I know that I've got an eternity ahead to enjoy every good thing No matter what life throws at me now, I know because of Jesus' death and resurrection, I'll live forever with God in a world perfected by God. It's a comfort to know that a world is coming where there's just no pain and no suffering, no sin, no evil, no death, where I'll get to see Jesus face to face and be reunited with those who love him too, like my mum, who died when I was 20. And I know this is my destiny. And here's the thing, I can't stuff it up. Because it's not based on me. It's based on Jesus. Isn't that a comfort? The book of Mark, it has a strange and an unsatisfying ending. But stop and focus on what it wants you to see. And this this strange ending takes us to life-changing, eternal comfort. A comfort based on what really happened in history based on Jesus' death and resurrection. Do you know this comfort? You can. 
because it's a comfort that Jesus offers to all of us. Let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the power of Jesus' resurrection, the difference it makes to life right now, and Lord, the difference it makes for all eternity. Lord, if we're sitting with this uncomfortably, help us to stay in this moment and to see the truth of the resurrection, to investigate it. But Lord, if we have placed our hands, our lives in the hands of Jesus, Lord, help us to know this comfort that you bring because of Jesus' resurrection, to know it now, to know it for all eternity, Lord, and to be your instruments of comfort to others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.